I'd like us to open our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 3. And I'd like to, with the help of the Holy Spirit quickening us and, and guiding us in truth, to look again at a subject that we looked at Sunday, but I was unable to, to get to about half of, a, of the message. And the more I thought about it and the more I've looked at it, it's, it's very important. Because what we talked about was the importance not only of being free, but staying free. Because if you think about all of the, the effort that churches and religion and Christian people go into throughout our entire nation and the whole world of reaching lost people, to be an evangelist, to go and find those who are bound, and then by preaching to them, the Word of God, the message of the cross, to see God free that person and set them free from bondage. That is a major part of the gospel. But we can't leave out the part that we also receive. God provides a way for us to have the power to stay free once He sets us free. Because it doesn't take long to realize that there's a lot of people that come out of bondage and are set free but later on in their life, you realize that they have become bound once again. And that's not the message of the cross. Because as the cross, the message of the cross, like it says in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. And that's in 1 Corinthians. I'm not sure what verse it is, but I read that the other night. Foolishness to those who are perishing. We've heard this before. We've heard the, the story of how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we listen to it again, and it's like, yeah, I've heard that before. No one would call it foolishness. But our reaction to it sometimes would at least imply that we take it lightly. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. I want to preach tonight... And I want us to look at the fact that Jesus set us free, and Jesus, by His Spirit, keeps us free, free from bondage. I want us to look at Romans chapter 3, and I want us to remember, I don't want to go back over everything we talked about Sunday, but I want to touch on a few things because it's important for us to be reminded of this. This is God's plan. This is not what we have perfected over 35 years in a church that has focused on the Word of God. This, that's not, that would be man's plan. The gospel and salvation is God's plan. And that includes all of us starting at some point. I want us to just briefly go through a few points, and then I want to get on to what we could not get to on Sunday. If we turn to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it is the beginning of all of us at some point. Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And redemption being deliverance by payment or ransom. Deliverance by payment or ransom. Because all had sinned. We all had a bill. Just like Jake said at youth camp, we all joined the rebellion against God. Every one of us with a sinful nature. We were on the other side. We were apart from God. 
And the only thing that was certain is judgment. That's what was sure. But God, through His grace, has made a way for us to avoid that and to set us free from bondage. Amen. Amen. Redemption, an act of freeing. And then we turn it over to Colossians 1. It says, because after He set us free, after we saw our sins, redemption, He redeemed us. He paid this price. Then as we go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And not only were we redeemed from sin, but we're redeemed from the effects of sin. We're redeemed from everything that sin promotes. And every bit of it is the work of the devil. Because when He redeemed us, God's plan was not so short-sighted to where all He could do is redeem us. All He could do is set us free from our past sins. God's plan for His people was to set us free and for us to stay free from now on. That's part of His redemption. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can make that small. And we can think, well, I know He forgave me, but I don't know about today. I don't know about these weaknesses. God redeemed us, and He set us free to stay free. And then as we looked at um, how that God provided, in His plan, He provided the things that we need. He provided His Holy Spirit. He made His Holy Spirit available, that when the Holy Spirit enters a man, He guides him in all truth. And that sets a man free. Because if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And He guides us in there. He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us His Word. He gave us fellowship, not only with Him and with each other. He gave us that because His plan was for us to stay free. And He knows all these things. We need these. He gave us the indwelling Christ. And that, folks, is truly what keeps us free, the indwelling Christ. And then for some of us, He gave a body of believers. It's something that over time can be something that we, we start to devalue. And we realize that maybe we don't have the commitment or the excitement or maybe we're not determined about being a part of a spirit-filled body. And like when I was doing the, the math, just strictly the numbers, 34 years, 3,500 plus sermons which, according to the best I can tell by talking to mom and knowing, knowing our pastor as well as I did from kind of a bird's eye view there, um, somewhere around 42,000 hours of preparation in the Word of God to make sure that the words that he stood here and said were words that this book said, the Word of God. And whenever that went out amongst all of us in whatever we brought to the church that day or that night, whatever busyness, whatever things are on our minds, that seed fell on that. And the real question is, how much of it really germinated? 
how much of it did we really retain and put to use that bore fruit in our life? Because the question that we're going to have to continually ask ourselves is through all of that and through him setting us free, did we stay free? Are you free tonight? Are you as free spiritually as you've ever been since you began that day you were redeemed? Are you as free as you were? And we talk about all of the sermons, all of the things that set us, all that set us free, the Holy Spirit, about being free to have liberty and being in bondage is to be enslaved. And we're talking about spiritual things. We're not talking about going back into bondage. We're not dealing with salvation. We're talking about the things in our life that can come into a Christian's life and can choke out the word. That whenever we do come back to a place of worship, there's something there that's keeping us from it. Or as we go out to witness, there's something that, that keeps us from doing that. Or it may be like we talked about many different things about going to a brother, confessing your faults. What about being encouraging and encouragement? Making it a regular practice in the body of Christ to encourage your brother. And having these things in, in, in our marriages, in all the things in our lives that we can read in here and we can see God's plan. He redeemed us and He set us free so that as we pass through this life, we can glorify Him and we can be free. Yet, the reality is, or possibly is, that in some areas, we're not free. And that's not God's plan. And as we looked at that, we talked about evidence. If you think about a man that's bound, there's evidence. This man is in bondage. We think about a man like in the, the chain gangs out working. And he's on the side of the road. He's in a striped suit. I mean, we could be as extreme as you want to. He's in a striped suit with shackles to another man, and he's working. There's no doubt. That's evidence he's bound. But what about if a man just doesn't have any more joy? What if a man just seems like he doesn't have any peace about anything? You start thinking about, I'm not talking about going through a trial. I'm talking about week in and week out, just a dullness. Just no longer, no longer does he come before the Lord, whether it's in his private time that only you know, or when he comes corporately together with other believers, there's something that makes him just want to kind of blend in and be quiet. And over the years, the church becomes quiet. Talked about When you talk about redemption, you talk about being completely lost and then completely found. Sins as far as the east from the west and made white as snow. And in your heart, nothing witnesses to it and it's quiet. That's a form of bondage that's moved back in to your life because Jesus did not choose you. He did not choose you and place his spirit within you for you to go through this life bound. That's not the message of this Bible. Period. It's not. And everything else is a lie because the author of all bondage is the devil. 
because all he can do is hope that he can keep you somehow suppressed because he knows that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world, which is him. He knows that. So all he can do is hope that you and I believe a lie. That's what he's hoping for. I want us to see this. I want the Holy Spirit tonight to open up our eyes and see a revelation of who we are and who it is in the world and see the evidences in our life and identify where each one comes from. The good, the peace, the joy, the gladness, the love for God's Word. And then over here, the temptations, the darker side, the weaknesses. Because when they start to intermingle, God's people get bound. And it has to be exposed because He set us free. He set us free. I want us to read in uh, Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. I want us to read these scriptures. I know that a lot of times we read these and we consider them to be letters to someone, but they are inspired words of God to all of us believers. That includes us tonight. Let's apply the word of God to our lives in whatever variety we bring here tonight. Let's apply it. Let's read. In Hebrews 3 and verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest, you, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I want us to think about that when Jesus died on the cross, He gave us the power to stay free. You know, in Romans, in Romans 1, it says, Jesus, when He was resurrected, declared with power that he was the Son of God when he raised from the dead. Jesus declared with power that he was the Son of God at the resurrection. And when he declared that, he's given us the power to stay free as well, completely free as we walk through this life. Turn to Romans 8. I want us to look at the spirit of him who raised him from the dead. These are familiar scriptures but I know that there are times in a person's life when he can read the same scripture he's known all his life, yet God opened up his heart to see and reveal to him the truth like he's never seen it. And I can witness to that. That is the truth. In Romans 8, in verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are, not, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live, and that's not, you know, I read this, that's not a past tense word. For if you live, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, and 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The work of the devil, bondage. But for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And those works are bondage to the believer. That's the works of the evil one. So I want us to think about, as we have God's Spirit within us, to me, for me in my personal spiritual life, to me I found that to be free is to surrender. To just surrender. Because we try so much on our own accord, but there is nothing in us that we can do, we can figure, we can say, we can do. None of that can keep us free. Only the Spirit of God living within us. Because when He placed His Spirit within us, out of our, out of our heart is going to come everything we need in our life to be directed to be free. We have to be able to recognize that. Surrendering. Surrendering. It's a key. To me, it's a key to stay free. I want us to look at three different things tonight. Because in the past, uh, say, two months, that includes our youth camp. That includes talking to some other people that, that aren't here. I begin to realize that bondage, the devil is crafty. He is working with all that he has to try to keep God's people bound. And if, he, and if he can't any longer invade a man or a woman's life with just blatant sin, or for them to fall away, then he's got to come up with another way to put you in bondage. And I want to talk about three different ways that I believe the devil has craftily made a bondage for a believer, a spirit-filled believer that is working through this life and believing that he's free, yet there's a snare. He can become bound. And the first, I mentioned it briefly the other night or the other morning, is misunderstanding grace. To misunderstand that. And folks, as we read these, the old saying about if the shoe fits, then own it. And if the shackle fits, own it. That's the only way we can deal with things in our life. That's the only way we can see deliverance come. Confess it. Just confess it. And think about these things. Because misunderstanding grace. To understand grace is freedom. To understand grace is to be set free. We all know that without grace, we're still on death row. Without grace, we have no chance. It is by grace that any of us in here have ever seen the plan of salvation. Turn to Ephesians 2. I want to read some familiar scriptures here. In Ephesians chapter 2... In verse 4 through 9, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace should be something that is very precious to all believers. Grace. The grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. In our society, there is hardly anything that would be close to being called grace because everything is conditional. Even sometimes, if we're not careful as parents, we begin to raise our children in our approval, in our acceptance, can become conditional. And we can do that in our marriages. It's conditional. Everything's conditional. But you think about those of us who had joined the rebellion. There was nothing we could do. God's grace stepped in and allowed us to come out of that. Amen and amen. Okay, we think about unmerited favor. The problem with this is, and where this can become bondage, is that a believer can, when he comes out of, of bondage of sin... And he can see it's grace that opened his eyes. By grace he was saved through faith. By grace. And now he decides, I'm going to live. And it's all grace. And what he does when he, when he says that, and this is, comes from conversations I've had lately, it's grace. It's all grace, brother. That person is saying, I'm still in control. I don't need to surrender. Because I can continue just to deal with things in my life that I know are wrong. I can just deal with those things because it doesn't matter. Because it's grace. I have a backup plan. And in his heart, there is something that is very self-centered and very self-seeking. Because if he, can, if he can hold on to that, then he can continue the life that he had in the past. But if the old man has been put to death and we've risen new in Christ then there's no reason for us not to surrender our old ways and our old thoughts and our old weaknesses. It's about surrendering. The message of the cross is surrendering. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the message. But it's beginning, if you're not careful, somebody says, well, God revealed to me. It's grace. And they consider themselves to be very religious very spiritual people. They have a message that maybe the rest of us don't. But I'm going to tell you, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. They have no light. I want you to turn to Romans 6. In Romans 6, if, if you looked at verse 1, it's a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we who have died to sin live any longer therein? And if you skip down to verse 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. 
And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. And that is a confession that we should make every day we walk through this life. Sin does not have dominion over me. I was bought with a price. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, and that present can be translated yield, yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you have presented your members of slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And that is the message of a man or a woman who have been redeemed and are thankful for grace, but realize it is grace that has enabled us to live this life, to have anything in our heart to want to please the Lord, to be able to see, to be able to understand, to be able to have any, re any sense of revelation whatsoever of Scripture. It was grace, but it is not grace for us to turn around and not surrender unto the Lord. Because to surrender to the Lord says, now my thoughts, what I want, my intentions have to line up and be with whatever this spirit within me is. That is truly freedom. Because what happens, this, this message of all grace is bondage. Because there's no, there is no freedom in that. The only freedom in grace was whenever we were redeemed and having the, everything that we need given to us by the grace of God. But it is not for us to continue. It's not my will but His. Turn to Titus 2 and we will move on. In Titus 2, at the end of, near the end of the, the chapter in Titus 2, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. Folks, we have to know when we think about grace, it is a privilege, a high privilege, to be called God's special people. That is a high privilege that nothing in this life, from now to eternity, can come close to that privilege. And for us to do that, let's consider about how we walk and we are walking worthy of that. To be zealous. That word zealous, I love that because 
who's zealous for good works? In a culture where no one's zealous for anything. How do we not become very unzealous? How do we, whenever sin comes up, or we get into a situation where there's a temptation, how is there not something in us that is driven, that is zealous to forsake that? We're a special people. We were called out and redeemed. We were set free. I'm looking right in the eyes of bondage once again. I promise you, every time it's there, the devil's there as well. Speak to him. Speak to it. When you run into that temptation in your life, that bondage, speak to the devil. Tell him, say, I'm redeemed, devil. Quote the scripture to him. Greater is he that's in me. There is no temptation taking me. That's as common to man. And God is faithful. He can't take that. He cannot take it. All he can do is hope you're believing a lie and that maybe somehow grace covers it all and it doesn't matter. Because I'm not going to sit here and talk about things that I don't know, like the depths of God's grace and his love and how far he extends. Not even going to even come close to that. But that's not the point. The point is man surrendering and wanting to serve God and glorify Him with His actions. And whether or not God is going to give us chance after chance, that's between you and God. But why in the world would we, having been set free, not have more of a gratitude and thankfulness in our heart to say the least I can do is turn away from this unrighteousness and to glorify God? The least I can do. And you know what? Every one of us will face that right there tomorrow. Tomorrow. You will face it. Maybe even tonight. You will face that decision. Bondage. Freedom. You face it. We all will. But God is faithful. A second form of bondage that can sneak in and, and creep into a, a long-established church of, of Good Christian people that are that are um, that for all outside purposes are the most spiritual people. I want us to turn to Matthew 16 because there is nothing new under the sun, and there was a group of people that seemed to be this way as well back in Jesus' day. The second thing I want to talk about after misunderstanding grace is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because I don't know about you all, but as a youngster, we heard stories and they would be in it. You read scriptures and they're in it. And boy, they're always on the end of just a good good chewing or, or they're, they're always being rebuked. Uh, they seem like they were always on the other side of right. And before I looked into this, I would have said, yeah, they were, they were some pretty evil people. But when you look into it, let me explain to you just a little bit about it. A little bit about a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Those were two different groups. Way back in Jesus' day, they were, they were religious sects. They were, they were a, a group of people that considered themselves to be the higher, the priestly, the more knowledgeable, the spiritual people of their day. 
And the Pharisees, let's look at them first. The Pharisees, they wanted to trace their beginnings way back into the Old Testament where there was, they come from a priestly tribe. They come from, from priestly folks all the way back in Isaiah. And, you know, if you think about the Jewish culture, it was very important, the outward appearance they almost relied on this outward appearance to earn this respect. You think about how that they conducted themselves in a way that was very noticeable. It was very obvious. When you're walking down the street, this man is spiritual. This was part of their culture where they relied on this outward, ex outward expression or outward look that these priests had to do that. So when you go forward... They're living and they become, they become the people, the more spiritual people and the religious people that all the other common people look to for answers, for thoughts about the coming Messiah, for all these things. They begun to have power. And the Pharisees were kind of a, a middle class folk. They weren't the richer people. They weren't to hire in, and they appealed to the, the middle class and the poor people, and they had quite a following. The Pharisees did. They were devout. They were dedicated. They were knowledgeable. They spent their time in religious things. And when you think, if you just think about those things, you think, man, these people were pretty spiritual people. And then you had... The Sadducees were the higher class. They were the, the ruling class. You remember the Sanhedrin council? That, that was the ruling council of the day. Well, most of those were made up of Sadducees. And they, had, they were more of an a upper class. They were very well connected with the Romans. And therefore, there was a political relationship. And the history of the Sadducees, I couldn't tell where they began but they ended with the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. When they did that, their political power was broken, obviously, and that was when they disbanded. But the Sadducees, they were someone that were looked up to as being the ruling, the ruling group. Both of these groups, their beliefs were centered around what they called, the, and I believe I'm pronouncing this right, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. That's what Moses had wrote. And they held a very high esteem, those books. But the Pharisees, this is the key part of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the law of Moses. But then they also believed in the oral law. The law passed down from generation to generation. And that was what people with high esteem, godly men, as they would consider it, had made suggestions that they had in turn made laws. The oral law passed down. And that is where you begin to, when you read that, you hear reference to the commandments of men. Because what you would have is the law of Moses and the oral law, and they mixed those two together, and they were able to change it. You think about that. If you had a group of churches and, and the pastors would get together and say, what are we going to do about this? Well, what do you think? Well, I think that makes sense. I think we make that our new doctrine. And they make it a doctrine. And that's what they had done. 
But see, they would do that, and then they would, they would impose these things onto the people. And there's where they're starting to get off track. Then you have the Sadducees. They did not believe in any oral law, strictly the Torah. But they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in a, in a spirit realm. And I was reading it, and I thought, how humorous must it have been when, when Jesus came on the scene and he completely wrecked, he wrecked their whole system of control because he had the spirit of God. They had the spirit of man. And whenever they would have those two would confront each other, they would walk away speechless because the spirit of God always makes the spirit of man foolishness. And so Jesus comes on the scene and they want, they want him gone. They want things back like it was. But think of the humor from the Sadducees when word gets out that Moses, who they have such a high regard for, was transfigured on the mount with Jesus when they don't believe in any afterlife. Can you imagine that next Sunday morning? There was some confusion going on. I mean, what are we going to do now? Well, that just blew our complete doctrine out. Anyhow, I thought that was humorous. So as we, we think about these two, we pick up in Matthew 16. Let's go to Matthew 16. Let's go in verse, uh, just start in verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tested him, asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. This is Jesus. And he answered and said to them, When evening... When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. No sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Now, if you stop there, it sounded to me like, they had come in a different boat, but that's not true because you go over and Mark, they got in there together. So it was just saying when they got to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed, because you think he just had this conversation. He just called them a bunch of hypocrites. He was constantly having to deal with this. Then he goes over and his disciples are thinking about bread. And so what does he tell them? Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, Is it because we have no bread? And Jesus, being aware of it, said, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have, not, you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them, beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. I want us to take, I want us to take lessons from and thoughts about the way that the devil is crafty and the way the devil will do anything he can do to make bound what Jesus has set free to make bound God's people. Because when we think about Pharisees and Sadducees, we immediately write ourselves out from having anything to learn from these people. 
because they were on one side and we're on another. But as we look at their background and we think about how devoted, we think about, there was some of them like, um, what was the name of the Pharisee that, that um, took Jesus' body? Joseph of Arimathea? He was a Pharisee. You think about, well, Paul was a Pharisee when he was converted, or Nicodemus. There were men, there were Pharisees that were from one side, and then there were Pharisees that were extreme on the other side. One of them, or some of them could be spiritual men looking for the Messiah, and on the other side, fleshly men who only wanted to be in charge and in control of what was going on. You had this broad spectrum here. But Jesus begins to expose it. And when he talks about that, the, the most obvious thing that comes out and lesson to learn is that God's plan. It was his plan then, and it's his plan now, was that first and foremost, when you're saved, when you're redeemed, there's a change in your heart. That's first and foremost. Secondly, out of your heart becomes the evidence that you've been set free. And anytime you get that one-two combination backwards, what you begin to have is a lot of expressions, a lot of, of fleshly desires, but you don't have a heart for the Lord. And I think about as generations come up, our generation, our children, could we possibly learn how to really act religious? Could these fellas right here on the front row know exactly how to act, what to say, and how to be that will make everybody else make it look like those are really spiritual young men? We've learned it from childhood. This is not the generation that came out of being a bunch of convicts. We're the... It's a, times are changing. And this message has to be preached because it's a form of bondage. Bondage is whenever a man has the outward appearance of being spiritual. And inside of his heart, he's dead. It's like Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. A white, you all have seen a whitewashed tombs? You go to the Latin America, you see they don't, they don't bury them in the ground. A tomb is something that sits up on top of the ground. And it can be painted, you can see it for miles. Beautiful. But on the inside, Jesus said, you're full of dead man's bones. Because there is a danger that we can go through this life as my generation and your generation and do everything seemingly good enough but be dead on the inside. And I'm going to tell you, that's bondage. And if you wake up one morning and you feel dead on the inside... You better ask yourself if you're free. Because if your spirit is quiet within you, then you better stir yourself up to seek the Lord and find out where this bondage has come from. Because God doesn't save a 14-year-old just so that he can become bound again at 18. That's not what the plan of salvation is. That's limiting God to being able to keep you free. God sets you free, you're free. Oh, I'm picking on them over there. I just... Focused right in on them. But anyhow, that's true with all of us. <laughs> Sorry, fellas. That's true with all of us. It really is. 
Think about that. Think about the fact that we can have the form of godliness and deny its power. And we can honor him with our lips and our heart be far from, far from him. And that is exactly what, how he described those, those Pharisees. Turn to Matthew 15. Just turn over two pages. And another thing that, that Jesus exposed about the Pharisees in Matthew 15... Pick it up in verse 3, it says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whatever, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you may have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment, of God to no effect by your tradition. I used to read that and say, I wonder what he's really, what is he talking about, about the child saying, if I'm a prophet to you and this and that. But the whole point is this. If the word of God says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And we turn around and say, well, look at it this way then we have changed the word of God and mixed the commandments of men. And we are as guilty as any of the Pharisees because we've mixed that. And we want to say, we've never done that. Folks, listen to me. We have. We have. Because the things that we allow in our lives are evidence that we have said, I know this is the way I'm to walk. But... A little mixture of this is understandable. And that's the truth. That's the truth in our lives that we have. It's hard to change traditions. It would be hard to come right in here and say, we're going to do things different. What if a man said, I don't discount the past. It's been a great foundation for a group of people but God saved us for a purpose and there's a lost world out there and we need to be a witness. What if tradition says we don't go anywhere? How hard will that be to change? God will have to change us. But the truth is, it's very hard. See, we want to talk about other denominations. We want to talk about the ones who get too rowdy. Some of my friends, and there's a case for that. Then we want to talk about the ones that are too dead. We want to do all this because and what we're doing is saying, they're too hot, they're too cold, and I'm just right. <laughs> and whenever we do that, we have settled into something that is comfortable. And as years go by, you can go ahead and put a name on it. It's called tradition. That is tradition, to say we're not like that, we're not like that, we're just right. We don't celebrate Christmas, we don't go to doctors, we don't this and that. It doesn't matter that all those things are right. What matters is that in our hearts we become comfortable and we become to where it's just about traditions and it's not about the Spirit of God living in our hearts because that 
out of the heart, out of the heart is going to come what sets us free. Not in our traditions. My children, they're going to know this is what we do. Wednesday, we go to church. We go to Cracker Barrel. Sunday, we go to church. We go to Zaxby's. Think about how the human nature, they begun to respond to that. You take those same children. You say, we just bought a new load of calves. You're up every morning at 6 a.m. First few mornings, it might be tough. Then they're used to it. And trust me, they will get up, and they will perform like a normal person at any hour of the morning. But if you take those same children and you say, you don't have to get up. Trust me, 10, 11 o'clock, they'll come dragging out of the bed eventually because that's our human nature. That is what our flesh wants. Our flesh wants to be comfortable. Our flesh wants to be certain of its surroundings. And all I'm saying is, is that the Word of God is the final authority in all of our lives. And if it goes against the way that we have seen it, if it goes against the next phase of our personal lives or our life of this church, if we're going to focus possibly on a, a different part or a different way, then we're going to have to search the Scripture and see if it says it. Because if it does going to be hard, but we will not be stuck in tradition. We will not. And then we think about in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, if there was any hope of, of the relationship between Jesus and the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, I think it, was, it ended in Matthew 22. Because if you think about, that was where, like in, I'm sorry, in 23. In 22, he spoke to them and he silenced all the critics. Remember, they came to him and tried to, uh, tried to test him with his words and catch him into things. And the Spirit of God in Jesus completely made foolishness out of their best questions. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they sent their disciples to him. And, and the disciples of the Pharisees, and they came and they tried to ask him something to test him by his words, and he sent them away speechless. So then as we get through 22 and we come into 23, and if we pick it up in 14, I mean, he is on a, an absolute scathing rebuke. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sacrifices the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sacrificed the gift, that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it 
and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And he just continues on and on and on. And if you consider the past, if you consider being legalistic, because there's a difference between being narrow and legalistic. And a lot of people have left, left our circles and they've left the Word of God because they said, well, I'm not going to be legalistic. But there's a difference. Being legalistic is strictly conforming to the law without the spirit of mercy and of love and, and of justice. Strictly conforming to the law without the spirit of love and mercy and justice. And that's what Jesus brought when he came. He had compassion because even though through all that reading down through there, go all the way to 37, and Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. He had compassion for the Jewish people. They were God's people. He had compassion, and that set him apart from the Pharisees. Because, see, they had the spirit of man, and the spirit of man exalts himself. But when the spirit of God's in someone, there is love, just like John preached a while back about love abiding in our hearts. And Jesus had love for those people. And it completely, it completely destroyed any, any kind of doctrine that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. And I'm going to tell you, it will destroy any tradition and doctrine that we have as we judge each other. Because when we go through this life, if it's not the Spirit of God within us loving our brother, then it's flesh and it's man doing that. You know, we talk about love. What I'm going to tell you is not comfortable. We talk about love, and we think the churches that talk about that or the messages on love, that's just watering down the word. The true word is hard. The true, true word is, is scathing. What if it is that we have become guilty of watering down the word of God by leaving love out? What if we have taken the Word of God that He gave us in complete context and we've taken that part of our life and for our own fleshly desires to somehow be known or to, for someone to see what I know or to see how I can correct or how I am something. That heart has gone out and left love out of the Scripture. Because this entire message of the cross is about love, God's love for us, and our love for each other. Now listen, folks, if we want to talk about having the whole counsel of God and not watering down the Word of God, then we can't leave out the message of love. We can't do it. 
because we have our own little traditions of way to handle this. When somebody fails, we tell them what they need to do. We tell them how they need to do it. We don't tell them we love them and that they can do better and we're with them. Because when you go to a person and encourage that person, you are saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. And if something in us, as we take the scripture, keeps us from being able to go to a brother and say, I'm with you. We both have the Spirit of God. I'm with you. Then we're in bondage. Then we're bound. You see, it becomes pretty narrow when you think about it because we want to think about everybody else. You know, we've talked a lot about over the years, there's been a lot of people come and go. Some people had to be asked to leave. I can remember many times going into dad's office as a young, carnally-minded young man, go in and say, why did you ask that person to leave? When they leave, how are they going to do better? Do you really love that person? But now, I can see, because one side was spiritually minded and my side was carnally minded. Because what happens is, when you love every one of the people, and there's one that persistently, they don't have a heart for the Lord. They persistently cause discord among the brethren. They are a hindrance to the precious souls that God has saved and put a man to oversee, because that's what a pastor does. A pastor is not to hear just to sow a bunch of seed. That's a teacher. A pastor can teach, but a pastor has a responsibility of overseeing. He, I mean, he, every single life, every one of them, is, is, is his life. That's what he gives his best years for, for you and yours to make it to heaven. That's a pastor's heart. He stands up here. He goes to that person privately. They don't hear him. They continue in sin. They continue to be someone who, who is given a, a, bad, a bad testimony. They're a hindrance. Then they begin to affect other people. And at that point, he has to say, you have to go because it's scriptural. It's scriptural to remove yourself from that person. Nobody likes it. But it is. But now I can see that he did that for the sake of the 99 as well, the ones that are here. But let me ask you a question. If you want to narrow down the word, because we want to consider ourselves to have the word of God and being in, on the narrow path, what causes more discord and trouble amongst the ones that are here that are left? Someone who has a weakness and a sin or gossip. What if a pastor stood up here and said, you have got to quit talking about your brother and sister in the Lord. Okay. Next week. Well, I mean, I don't mean to be critical or I don't mean to say, but you know what? We already talked about this. Take somebody with you. Twice. You've got to stop. Again, you're out of here for gossiping. 
What if it got that narrow? Because it's about God's people between now and eternity living free and staying free. We can't be bound by this. How long do we just say grace is enough? Because this message is narrow. It's narrow. And we can't just sweep it under the rug. Gossiping about somebody comes from a heart of flesh and it comes from a heart that does not love their brother. Do you go tell things about your children? About your wife? I'll tell you what, she's this and that. No, because you love her. And that's just the truth. We have to be careful that as we go through this life and we look at other people, we look at these groups in the Bible, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all that. I don't even know where we got off on all this, but the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that leaven is described in Luke 12. Let's move quickly. And by the way, I hope that between now and eternity, there is not another single person that ever walks out those doors until he goes out sent to do the purpose that God has for him. And that is what I want to see us be delivered as a church. All the way across the board, children, grandparents, mothers, and dads. Yes, we will leave, but we're going out to proclaim the goodness of the Lord and to, and to have an effect on those who hear us and to come back and testify. No more of this having to deal with someone so bound that they have to be put out under other terms. Luke 12, in verse... Let's see, in verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when the innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so many they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is... Hypocrisy. And like we talked about earlier, and I don't want to spend an enormous amount of time on it, but hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is assuming an appearance without a reality. Assuming an appearance without a reality. And I want us to beware tonight of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and having an appearance without a reality. And I want us to leave us with that warning and that thought as we think about being set free and the power to stay free. Let's not become bound by having an appearance without a reality because the reality is the Spirit of God living within you. That's the reality. That is the reality. Thirdly and lastly, as we close, and we have... Uh, we have run out of, of time again, but we're going to finish this quickly. Turn to Revelation 3. I remember hearing Dad say that you all did that, took up all of his time, but I thought that was a joke. But now I see it's wrong. It's the truth. Revelation 3. In verse 14, said, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. 
I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with salve that you may see. For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Lastly, the third form of bondage that the devil can bring is a lukewarm heart. To have a lukewarm heart. To be lukewarm is to be half and half. It's to be not really one way, but not another. It's not in complete denial. You're here all the time. A lukewarm person is someone who has convictions, but they also have excuses. And how many times can that be the case in mine and your life? That we have convictions, but we have excuses. And it doesn't mean that a person doesn't have beliefs. They have a, a moderate, usually a moderate and kind of a liberal way of looking at things. And that is a person that the Bible talks about being lukewarm, being satisfied with a moderate stand. To be lukewarm, to be satisfied with a moderate stand. And if we look at this, there's, there's three different things that, that jump out about man's evaluation. When you look at this, he says, because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. And then there's God's description is the very opposite. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How can that be? How can it be that a man with nothing new under the sun in our lives, how can it be that we can consider our, ourselves or, or a man can consider himself to be in good and right standing? But then God say, poor, blind, and miserable. How can that be? Can it be because that man is in bondage and doesn't even know it? Can a man be bound and not know it? Is that possible? I can tell you it is because I've been there and had no idea. No idea. We can be bound by the work of the devil and he can slowly just back away from us and shh, leave him. He's not a threat. He's not a threat because he doesn't have a heart that's surrendered to the Spirit of God within him. If he ever looks inside of himself and if his eyes are open that he's bound, we're in big trouble. The powers of darkness have to flee. They can't stand, but they've got to convince us that we're okay. And the thing to do about this, to take these warnings and to search our hearts and just see, just see where we're at. And if we're free, and none of these things apply, there are no shackles that fit, praise God. Encourage your brother. Be involved. We need you. God saved you for a purpose. And right now, your purpose is here. 
Be active in the body of Christ. Be active in the community with the people around you. Wake up every morning with excitement in your heart. Something that, huh, the joy of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Every morning, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah, I'm waking up and living free today. That's the person that God sets free. And then all of a sudden, when you begin to surrender that, what happens when something comes up in our life? It's not as big a deal as it was. It's not. But think about, you've got a perception of man, and then you've got the perception of God. And then God goes on here, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined with fire. What does that mean? What happens when something goes through fire? It's tested. It's genuine. All that is not real is removed. The part of a man's heart, when he lives genuine and faithful and tested in his heart, that's a realness. That strips down all that we bring in this life and it surrenders to what the Lord has brought into our heart. That's true and genuine. There's nothing in us that's honest and right outside of the Spirit of God living within us. There is nothing else. Only by receiving Him can we have gold refined in fire that you may be rich. And secondly, He says, in white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I think back, if you go over to, or I can just read it to you in Revelations 19. In verse 8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And in 14 says, The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. It's going to be our white robes. Because, folks, it's only a short amount of time, just like that song said, I'll fly away, O glory. Do you realize how short of a time we have on this earth? We have a short amount of time. We don't have any time to live bound. We don't have time for that. This is a message that's got to start. Because you know how it is. You look up one day, it's been 10 years. It goes quick. It goes quick. Y'all hang in here a minute. I'm almost done. White garments is holiness. And then... Lastly, it says, anoint your eyes that you can see. Boy, how important is it for a man going through this life to be able to see the wonders of the Lord? You think, I don't know that there's anything that could be more important than a revelation. God's revelation of who man is in him and who he is passing through this life. A revelation of the knowledge of God. God has given us the power to stay free, folks. He's given us everything we need to stay free when He put His Spirit within our hearts. He has enabled us to see His strength in our weakness and then caused us to see that we have to surrender. If we don't surrender in this life to the Spirit of God within us, then I don't believe we will ever be free because we are holding on to something of our own. And there's nothing right and good in that. He gave us His Spirit and He gave us His Word. 
I want us to turn to Ephesians 3 as we close. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. He said that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, able to, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes, un, passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the churches by Jesus, to Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. I used to read that scripture, folks, about now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and somebody may take that, and they may paste it over here to see, say, see, that's about material things. You go out here, you think you're going to make some money, he can make you make a lot more money. All of a sudden, your mind takes that scripture and puts it there. But when you look in the context of it, 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let that sink in. Ask him. Think about it. Ask him. Think about it. Because he can do abundantly above even that. And he can do that in the revelation of the power that is within us to stay free. The power to stay free. Just like it says, the last part of it, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That power is greater than anything in this world and greater than anything the devil can throw at us. The power to stay free. Ask. Think about it. Stir yourself. Seek the Lord. I just want to encourage everybody here who has been redeemed who has had an experience when you know that your sins were forgiven and you begin to live a life for the Lord, ask and think for a revelation for the fullness of Christ. To be full for His Spirit that lives when you allow Him to see that. That's the power that works in us. And that is the power to stay free. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.